Welcome to the weekly sermons and studies podcast at First Baptist. Today's speaker is our senior pastor, Dr. Jeff Reynolds. Let's pray together. And Lord, with the Apostle John, we declare the supremacy of Christ and the glory of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That all persons of the triune God are co-eternal. Lord, you are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. You are the one who holds all things together. You hold us together. And so, Lord, we come under your lordship now, freely submitting ourselves to you and surrendering yet again our will to yours so that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven and that your will would be done in our church as it is in heaven and that your will would be done in our lives as it is in heaven. So, Lord, as we turn to your word in the presence of your Holy Spirit, we pray that you would transform us by the renewing of our minds so that when we leave this experience, we are more like Jesus than when we came. We ask these things, trusting you in Jesus' name. Amen. I love the fact that our history is divided into B.C. and A.D. B.C. stands for before Christ, and A.D. stands for Anno Domini, the year of the Lord. Now, I know, I know, if you're in academia now, they've changed it to B.C.E. and C.E., before the Common Era and the Common Era, but I don't care what you call it, it's still based on Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified and resurrected. I still go with B.C. and A.D. Well, do you know, each of us, individually, has our own personal B.C. and A.D., And just as B.C. and A.D. in terms of our history are seen as vastly different eras and epochs of time, the same should be true of our own personal B.C. and A.D. And what I mean by that is this, that that my life before Christ ought to look a whole lot different from my life as I'm living in my years of the Lord. That once I surrender my life to Jesus Christ, I ought to change and and. The reverse is true, that if I have not changed, then I haven't really surrendered to Jesus Christ. If you look in the Bible, nobody came to Jesus and stayed the same. Not during his earthly ministry as recorded in the Gospels and not during the expansion of the church as recorded in the New Testament. Nobody came to Jesus and stayed the same. And the truth in 2023, Anno Domini, the year of our Lord, remains the same. Nobody truly comes to Jesus and stays the same. And so when the Bible says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, it means to honestly examine yourself and see what sort of change is working in me by the presence of the Holy Spirit within me. Because if I've received Christ, then that means I've received the Holy Spirit. And if I've received the Holy Spirit, then the Holy Spirit is going to produce fruit in me, fruit like love and joy and peace and patience kindness and goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That sort of fruit born by the Holy Spirit within me ought to come out of me. Now, that doesn't mean I'll be perfect. And so if you're in church this morning and you are a little worried because you have been imperfect over the course of the last week or even over the course of the last 24 hours, you're among friends because we're all in the same boat, including the one talking to you right now. But the general trajectory of our lives once we come to Christ has to be different. 
It has to become more Christward as we become more Christ-like. And we're going to see somebody today whose B.C. and A.D. really couldn't have been much more different. We're going to look at the life of the Apostle Matthew today. So I want to invite you to open your Bible with me to Matthew chapter 9. If you're in the Red Pew Bible here in the sanctuary, that is page 814. We're going to look at verses 9 through 13 to begin today. But we're going to see Matthew, whose life was radically changed by Jesus. We're going to see his B.C., and we're going to see his A.D., and we're going to see what happened to cause that change. What did his encounter with Jesus look like? But here's the bottom line, and this is the theme for the message today if you're taking notes. Matthew decided to follow Jesus, and his life was transformed. Matthew decided to follow Jesus, and his life was transformed. We're going to read this account first from Matthew's own writing. In Matthew chapter 9, Matthew writes these events as he's carried along by the Holy Spirit saying this as Jesus passed on from there he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth and he said to him follow me and he rose and followed him and as Jesus reclined at table in the house behold many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples and when the Pharisees saw this they said to his disciples why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. I think it's beautiful that Matthew recounts his own conversion, his own beginning of his journey with Christ in the gospel that bears his name. And as we jump into this text today, and as we jump into Matthew's story, I want to give you this first point. Matthew followed Jesus to a new lifestyle. Matthew followed Jesus to a new lifestyle. Let me read to you again Matthew chapter 9, just verse 11 this time. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Tax collectors existed during the time of Jesus' day. Tax collectors exist now. We call them IRS agents, right? But tax collectors were different back in this day. There were actually two different types of tax collector. The first tax collector worked for Rome directly. And Rome had several taxes that were universal and, and very straightforwardly communicated, such that really the people who collected these taxes just had to impose the fee. So for example, there was a tax on uh, crops. You had to give a portion of your crops. You had to give a portion of your wine and oil and fruits. You had to uh, pay a generalized income tax. And then there was a poll tax that you paid just for the privilege of existing. But all of those taxes were remarkably clearly defined. It was either a tenth or a fifth or some amount. And so there really wasn't any wiggle room for the tax collectors who worked directly for Rome to change those really at all. Everybody knew what they were. Well, that's the first kind of tax collector. The second kind of tax collector in this day was more like a customs officer. And so the way that Rome did this was it divided its 
empire up into sections, into regions, and they would set somebody over the region. There would be a man who was in charge of collecting the various other taxes and getting those to Rome. But that man would have employees, tax collectors who would work under him, who would go around even smaller regions and collect taxes from people. And these taxes... There were so many of them, and so some of the examples were there were taxes on imports and taxes on exports, taxes for using harbors, taxes for using roads, taxes for using bridges, taxes for using rivers, taxes for going to the market, taxes for engaging a civil service, and and there was a sales tax as well. And these customs officers would have certain areas, territories that were assigned to them to work. And within those territories, they carried a a remarkable amount of authority. They could come up to you and stop you and demand to search you, to see what you have on you and what taxes might be due. And the thing about these taxes was they were much less clearly defined. And so the person who was over the region could skim some off the top by charging a little extra, but so also could these employees under the person who's over the region also add to it and say, no, you you owe more than you think you owe. Well, the region that we're talking about today was overseen by a guy named Herod Antipas, who's also known as Herod the Tetrarch. You've heard of him. And Matthew was one of these customs officer tax collectors. We think that he worked a trade route that was about four miles away from Capernaum. But he also had a tax booth in Capernaum. And remember, Capernaum is Jesus' home base for ministry. Some of you have been there. Capernaum was a fishing town right on the Sea of Galilee. And so Matthew had a tax booth there because part of Herod Antipas' region and part of his responsibility was taxing the fishermen. Do you remember that we've talked about some fishermen who fished from Capernaum lately? Guys named Simon and Andrew and James and John. We know Simon better as Peter these days. So think about this. Here's Matthew and his job commissioned by Rome is to come up and stop you and say, oh, I noticed you were walking on this Roman road. You owe me some money. Oh, I noticed you're carrying a fresh catch. You owe me some money. I noticed that that you have certain possessions I haven't seen on you before. You need to pay some taxes to Rome. And the thing about Matthew was he came from a Jewish background. So what did he do? He gave up his family. He gave up his heritage. He traded it all in to chase money, to chase this lucrative lifestyle that had worked out really well for him. He was a very wealthy individual, but he had become wealthy by cheating his own people. He was despised. All of these tax collectors were despised. Think of how you would feel if you just pulled into your driveway and somebody walked up under the full authority of the government and said, I notice you just used our road. We're going to need a toll. You pass over a bridge. I notice you just came across that bridge. We're going to need a little money out of you for that. But there was no standard rate. They could tell you that it costs whatever they told you that it costs and exact that from you. And if you didn't pay, well, you were in trouble. And it wasn't just with this individual. It was with Rome. When Jesus called Matthew... He called 
Matthew to a new lifestyle. Every time tax collectors are talked about in the Bible, it's in a negative connotation. And let me just read some of, some of the words that Matthew recorded as Jesus spoke them. Now, I want you to think of this. Matthew's writing these words of Jesus down. This is Matthew eleven nineteen. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Matthew 18, 17, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and as a tax collector. Matthew 21, 31b and 32, Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. Tax collectors were recorded in the Bible, always associated with sinners and prostitutes and wicked people. And that gives you an idea of how they were viewed. And that was Matthew. And so one day he was at his booth. And Jesus came. I want to invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 5. We're going to look at verse 28. If you're in the Pew Bible, that's page 861. Page 861. I'm going to read you two verses, Luke 5, 27 and 28. This is, again, the account of Matthew's being called by Jesus. Uh, In Luke and Mark, Matthew is called Levi, And there's been a whole lot of ideas presented as to why in Matthew's gospel he's called Matthew, why in the other synoptics he's called Levi and then Matthew. Some people have said, oh, Jesus changed his name. Some people have tried to to look at distinctions in the name given. Honestly, most scholars now agree he probably just had two names. I'm Jeffrey Paul. You know, some people call me Jeff. Some people call me Jeffrey. And when I'm in trouble, my mother still calls me Jeffrey Paul. So... You know, I just think it was a couple of different names. So we're going to learn how Luke records this. Luke 5, 27 and 28. After this, he, Jesus, went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. Now, I want you to notice the detail that Luke includes that Matthew doesn't. Matthew, in his account, says that when Jesus called him, he rose and followed him. But Dr. Luke adds another detail that I think Matthew was probably too humble to include. Dr. Luke says that when Jesus called him, Matthew rose and, leaving everything, followed him. Our second point today is this. Matthew followed Jesus to a new perspective. Matthew followed Jesus to a new perspective. There's no doubt that Matthew had become wealthy. And his wealth was evidence of how much he was despised. Matthew had left everything to chase money. And it worked. He left his family. He left his heritage. He left his own people. And it worked. Now Jesus is going to call him. Now, keep in mind that Matthew had a tax booth in Capernaum, and Jesus based his ministry out of Capernaum. Capernaum was very important to Jesus. Capernaum was a place where Jesus taught. Some of you have been to the synagogue where he taught. You're going to go. Some of you are going to go with me in May to the synagogue where he taught. Matthew 
Matthew collected taxes there where in that city Jesus healed people. Jesus cast out demons. Jesus was there working. There's no doubt that Matthew collected taxes from Simon and Andrew and James and John, and he had to notice the difference in the fishermen disciples of Jesus once they encountered Jesus, because Jesus came to them first. So Matthew's looking on, and he's probably seeing an up-close and personal view of Jesus' ministry, such that in the day when Jesus looked at him while he was in his booth and said, follow me, His response was immediate. He got up and went. And Luke tells us that when he got up, he left everything. Because Matthew understood to some degree who Jesus was, and Matthew understood what Jesus was worth and and what it meant to follow him. Luke would later record in Luke chapter 14, verses 27 through 33, Jesus saying this, "'Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple.'" For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. You remember Jesus' interaction with the young man we only know as the rich young ruler? The rich young ruler comes up to Jesus and says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Or in another version of the story, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, why why do you call me good and why do you ask me about what is good? You know the commandments. If you would live, keep the commandments. And the rich young man says, which ones? And Jesus gives him just the ones that deal with interpersonal interactions. And the rich young man says, well, I've done all these since birth. What more do I lack? And then Jesus gives him the essence of the first four commandments. The essence of the first four commandments is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, strength, and soul, spirit. He says, go sell everything, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. What did Jesus realize about this young man? He didn't have wealth. His wealth had him. There's a difference there. And the Bible says the young man went away sad. Why? Because he had to choose his God, and the one he chose was not Jesus. Jesus would say, you can't serve both God and money. It doesn't work that way. You'll either, you can't have two masters. You'll love the one and hate the other. Serve the one and despise the other. Does that mean you can't love Jesus and have money? No. God uses people of great means all the time. But it means you can't love Jesus and let your money have you. There's a difference. The difference between the rich young ruler and the tax collector named Matthew is when it was on the line and they had to choose which God they would serve. The rich young ruler chose his stuff. Matthew chose Jesus. He got up and he left everything. You know, it wasn't the first time Matthew had gotten up and left everything to chase something. 
Sometime before this, he had gotten up and left everything to chase money. And he found out even when you accumulated a lot, it was still pretty empty. So now, Matthew gets up and leaves everything again. This time not to chase something that will leave him loaded but feeling empty. This time to follow the one who is truly able to satisfy. Matthew followed Jesus to a new perspective. God calls all of us to do the same. Well, now look with me at Mark chapter 2. If you're in the Red Pew Bible, that's page 837. This is Mark's account of the calling of Levi, who is Matthew. And we're going to look specifically at verses 15 through 17. Mark writes, as he's carried along by the Holy Spirit, saying this, And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Our third point today is this. Matthew followed Jesus to a new acceptance. Matthew followed Jesus to a new acceptance. Now, Matthew was probably friends with other tax collectors, but even the sinners from whom he gathered taxes probably hated him. And so Matthew, in the region in which he worked, was a pariah. No doubt about it. He was rich, but he was a pariah. He was despised by the religious, the non-religious, and everybody in between. Well, now Matthew's hosting a dinner party. There's tax collectors there, his colleagues in the field. Other sinners show up. What's amazing is Jesus and his disciples are there. And what is happening? A new community is forming around Jesus. Now, community forms easily around sin. How many of y'all have noticed that? That's why parties happen on campuses all across this great nation and around the world. We like community around our sin because if you do my sin, then my sin must be okay, right? And if I do your sin, then your sin must be okay. So we form communities around sin. But this is not a community being formed around sin. This is a community being formed around Christ, and it's vastly different because no longer is our common connection our sin. Now our common connection is the one who delivered us from it. And what's amazing is Christian community ought to look like this, that God gathers us together. And we don't, we don't have commonality based on the ways that we have turned against God anymore. No, now we have commonality based on the rescue we have received from God. And that's what's happening. Jesus said, I didn't come to call the righteous. Who are the righteous? Well, honestly, nobody but Jesus. But he's saying, I didn't come to call those of you who think you've got God figured out and you've already made your way. Y'all don't need me. Truth is, they do. But he said, I've come to call sinners. Well, who are sinners? Romans 3.23 says, how many have sinned? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so Jesus has come to call all people because all people are sinners. But if you think yourself too righteous, too good already for Jesus, then go on about your business. You're going to have... A rough judgment day. 
He said, I've come to call sinners because I desire mercy. God desires mercy. And this new community was forming around the mercy of God through Jesus Christ. The pariah had acceptance. He previously had acceptance among the other tax collectors, I'm sure, but nobody else. And now sinners and righteous and God himself are gathered in Matthew's house. This is the sort of transformation that Jesus brings. He comes to be with us and changes everything. Well, the last point comes really just from Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. That's page 807. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. The fourth point is this. Matthew followed Jesus to a new responsibility. He followed Jesus to a new responsibility. He would write the gospel according to Matthew. We've read from it all day today. I love the fact that God took a cultural pariah, a tax collector, and changed his life, and then used, listen to this, this is unbelievable. You couldn't just be any dummy off the street and be a tax collector. You had to be sharp, especially if you're going to make money, because you had to be able to do math in your head. How much am I going to skim off of this? Matthew was sharp. The problem was that he had used the gifts and talents and abilities and resources that God had given him to work against God and God's people. Well, now, Matthew's encountered Jesus. He's decided to follow Jesus, and now God will use those very same gifts, talents, abilities, and resources that he put in him when he knit him together inside his mother's womb for the kingdom of God. And that's what he does. God takes what he puts in us, redeems it, empowers it by his Holy Spirit, and uses it to bless the world. B.C. to A.D. They're vastly different eras of time. In history at large, and in the history of me, and in the history of you, like in the history of Matthew, our call is to continually surrender everything to trust and follow the one who can deliver us unto everlasting life and take what he's put in us and bless the world through it all. Thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time. We'd love to connect with you. Just email connect at firstbaptistbg.org or call 270-842-0331.